Hello and welcome to the very first Millennial Moolah show. I've got my inaugural guest, my anonymous brother. How are you doing? Hey, I'm doing great. How are you? Good. Uh, so, we're a little bit different at birth. You know, I was always focused on uh, saving as much as possible and building wealth and trying to get financial independence, and Roy was always... Handsome. Oh, yeah, pretty much. So, I thought it'd be pretty fun for the first show ever to just, like, talk about money with my brother, and hopefully you guys have a good time uh, as much as we do. So yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, this is what I'd want to be doing right now. <laughs> That's for sure. So, uh, Roy, tell us a little bit about yourself. All right. Uh, hello. I'm Roy, even though I was just declared an anonymous brother 25 seconds ago. That's fine. Um, so I currently live in Orlando, Florida. I work at the Walt Disney World Resort uh, part-time, and uh, I'm enjoying it myself. I graduated from the University of Florida about two years ago with a degree in telecommunication, and uh, I'm just uh, you know making ends meet, making things work, and having a good time. It's cool, Roy. Thank you. Roy, so if you had to describe your relationship with money, how would you describe it? Wow, Travis, that is a great question. I <laughs> I love money. Money is pretty cool. You know, when you think about it, money is a service or it takes the place of a trade or a service that you earn, you know? <laughs> Travis, <laughs> you're making me sad. <laughs> money... <laughs> this this is not going to be edited. This is the raw realness of someone oh who knows exactly what they're talking about. I'm sorry. What what is this question? My relationship with money. Like, do I bathe in it? Do I like blow my nose in it? Travis, I use money to buy is things. It a after relationship is it open? It's pretty open. It's I pretty, pretty... I earn money and I use it on things that I like. Like gas and food and trinkets galore. Okay. So, Roy, wh- Roy, what's in your wallet right now? All right. I conveniently have my wallet right here. I am opening my wallet, and I have $60 in cash, you know? I have my uh, driver's license. Uh, I have my Target card. I have my Sam's Club card. I have a Chipotle gift card, which I do need to use. I have my credit card. And a debit card, and then some other information like my AAA card and my car insurance, uh, and uh, etc. I suppose. And then I have my general like IDs for work. How much money do you usually carry, carry in your wallet? I, I need to have at least twenty dollars, just in case. That's kind of like the bare minimum. But I like to have like forty, but I don't like to have more than forty. So if I have that, I'm gonna stop by an ATM and I'm gonna drop it off. How'd you come up with forty? Just as a number, just like that's kind of just what's comfortable. Like that'll pay for like that could fill up my car. That could like pay for like a comfortable meal if I need to. Just you know, like the bare minimum of groceries that I would get. You know, just so, so that I wouldn't be like an awkward bind if like a card was declined or like I didn't have my card, something like that. Now, when you go get money out of the ATM, do you ever get money out of an ATM that's not conflated with your bank and pay a fee? Uh, no, I don't. I will actually drive out of the way to my bank ATM uh, to deposit or to withdraw money out of it. Interesting. What kind of bank do you use right now, Roy? Uh, I use Wells Fargo, formerly Wachovia, but absorbed in the past five years by Wells Fargo. Cool. What if I told you that you could switch to Schwab Bank and not pay any ATM fees anywhere in the world? How would you feel about that? Um, that is... 
definitely a titillating uh, <laughs> uh, option, I suppose. Uh, but I don't often use ATMs mm-hmm. other than depositing money. I rarely pull money out. If I do pull money out, it's going to be uh, with a debit transaction, like at a grocery store. I'll just like, if I don't have any money in my wallet, I'll just like request twenty dollars back. So, what would have to be in it for you to change bank accounts? Um, Sounds like the power of inertia is working on you right now. Yes, sure. Uh, if I needed to like change bank accounts, it would just be like if I like had service that I just thought was like inappropriate or like if I had like um like uh, my credit limit was a little bit too like low for me or something like that like if I had like a college card and I had a cap of like a very minimal amount of like a thousand dollars that I could like put on a credit card uh you know that if, if I felt like I was too parented with my like finances I suppose then you would switch yeah if I had it, a little more freedom because there's lots of bonus credit cards out there that you can get much bigger bonuses and also just lower fees than Wells Fargo. In general, for readers, I never like to recommend that they go for big banks for their banks because they just charge so much fees. They're not really great with customer service. There's just so many better options out there. But it kind of shows you a lot of times people just kind of go whatever is, was convenient at a time in their lives and they just kind of stick with it, right? Is that kind of what happened with you? Absolutely. Like Wells Fargo, because I went to UF and that was kind of like I don't know if it's like the right word, but they had kind of a monopoly presence on the campus. Like there was Wells Fargo's everywhere, and even when you come for orientation, you kind of have to at least talk to Wells Fargo and either say yes or no to their like, you know, college card plan. Um, so that's that was was convenient. That made money accessible. That made transactions easy on campus, which has kind of been the opposite since I moved to Orlando. I'm actually very far away from like my nearest bank and. It definitely takes a bit of a trip to go deposit money or to make transactions. I have to plan days, and I have to combine checks or cash orders that I have to make it worth the trip all the way to Wells Fargo. So I'm in the business of looking around, um, I suppose, but I've just been putting it off. Sure. Well, for readers out there that have that kind of situation, maybe you should seriously consider what bank you're using and look around and see the really good options that are out there besides just the no-brainer approach, which is to just walk up to the big bank in town and sign up. Yeah. Um, so, Roy, what's, what's like, the worst financial decision you've made or just a bad financial decision? Um, I suppose recently when I moved to Orlando, um, it was kind of a, kind of a last-minute decision that I made um, in moving here because my lease was running out in Gainesville. Uh, I had about two months left of my lease, my time there. Uh, so I kind of moved to Orlando last second on a whim, just pursuing, uh, you know, options that I presumed that I would have and did not have at the time. Um, so I signed on to have a one person apartment in Orlando right next to universal studios. And that was, um, with utilities, it was probably about a thousand dollars a month, I guess. How much were you making during this time? Uh, I actually did not have a job. Um, at the time, uh, for at least three or four months when I moved down here. And I, I, I quickly got a job because I realized that's not a viable, you know, way to live. So and you were just living off savings, basically? Living off savings, yeah, because in, in college I uh, was able to find a place that uh, was not in, like, the best, you know, upkeep, but it was we, we were able to, you know, stay there for about $275 a month, which is very, very 
reasonable. And, yeah, uh, <laughs> my favorite rental check of my life. Yeah, and uh, I suppose just like the savings from that, you know, went directly. You know, that plus like graduation gifts and birthday, you know, savings that kind of pulled directly into that. And that was a, you know, I was there for thirteen months, and so that was a giant thing that I had to you know support myself through. Wow. So how much were you making when you finally got a job relative to your rental check? Um, I made enough because I had a part-time job. I guess I had a kind of a full-time job, uh, but then I went down to part-time, and then that's when I started at Disney, and then I was between the two, uh, you know, seven days a week, and then I quit that first part-time job, and then I started on part-time at uh, Universal Studios, so then I was working between you know, Disney and Universal seven days a week, really just to start, like, making back all that that I was, that I had lost, I suppose. Um, But I guess, like, you know, seven days a week, probably, like, you know, 12,000, 15,000 a year. Okay. So you're paying about that same amount in rent, though? Yes. Wow. So I was definitely, like, absorbing, like, a lot that I had in savings. So in general out there, if you have a rental decision to make, try to keep it down to one-third of your income. That kind of can protect you financially. Um, obviously, sometimes that involves making sacrifices, right? So oh, yeah. what did you do to end up lowering that rental cost? Oh, I found myself a roommate. And um, that that definitely, like, really helped out. Also, we kind of, like, live in a more questionable part of the town, you know, where it's, it's definitely not, like, the best in terms of, uh, safety or apartment upkeep or management service, um, but kind of lowering expectations and lowering that kind of quality uh, definitely helped out. And even recently, we took on another roommate, even though we're a uh, you know two bed two bath. Uh, so now I'm paying you know like three hundred dollars a month compared to you know eight hundred plus you know hundred fifty hundred seventy utilities. And you're upgrading in quality too soon, right? Yeah, I recently even yesterday I just signed a an apartment that's actually closer to the Kissimmee. Uh, area of Orlando, which is a very nice uh, residence, and it just it feels like a very safe community, gated community, and uh, all the amenities are exactly what we want them to be. And it's still going to be two bed, two bath, but we're going to have three people living there. Um, so it's going to like, you know, the price is going to go down like a very reasonable amount, and I am excited about that. So what's the worst financial situation you've been in, or like have someone someone taken advantage of you financially? Um. I suppose you actually helped me out with this um, because, <laughs> yeah, back in um, what year was it? I believe it was when you graduated, so 2012, something yeah. like that. Uh, well, in the house that we we lived in, um, you know, we had a decent amount of people that were living there. Uh, most of them, like, were not on the lease, but we had a very lenient tenant uh, or uh, landlord, I suppose. That, you know, as long as she got her check, she didn't really uh, bat an eye to that kind of thing. Never really came by which which helped us out a lot in terms of you know making the the price what we wanted it to be um but in the aspect we you know we crammed five people into a three-bedroom house um and when a few people graduated that year which was pretty much everybody in the house uh instead of just paying their share of the rent for the rest of the year they looked on craigslist to find uh a craigslist uh i suppose person to to fill their spot and how many do we get uh, we got three people, I from suppose, Craigslist. from Craigslist, and one of them ended up getting arrested, so then we had to get another person to fill his spot, but he was already living on the couch anyways, like, blowing up incense. 
uh, and, Mo- and Molly probably like, and uh, so that was unfortunate because they really were not dependable guys. And I guess it was like the really low, low ball um, rent that we you know put out there. That you know the, the lower you make the rent, you know the the skeezier the <laughs> people you're going to attract. And uh, so like most of them did not end up paying me utilities. A couple of them like moved out uh, without even paying me rent, and so I ended up shouldering uh, the majority of the rent and the utilities for that entire summer and it was very uncomfortable and very unfortunate and kind of made me lose a little trust in you know the general you know finances of people because when finances come into play like that's when you kind of see the raw value of a person I suppose sometimes yeah um but it ended up working out because everybody that was originally on the lease you know because I had to shoulder that money they were able to pay me back and and it worked out uh, after after a while but it was still unfortunate so check out your background checks of your potential craigslist roommates people yeah you can actually go on the three major credit bureaus transferian uh or, sorry transunion experian and equifax i believe and get a free credit report every 12 months so you can actually ask for your potential craigslist roommate to give you a credit report from one of those agencies for free and make sure they don't have anything like arrests back payments delinquencies some sort of red flag in their credit report to make sure that doesn't happen yeah and uh if you can help it you know make sure they sign the lease too that's that's safe yeah so roy what do you think about emergency funds um have you ever heard of that term before and like what do you think it is and emergency is that um is that what a savings account is kind of so when someone has a big thousand dollar car repair you need money to pay for that right right so actually most people don't have that money so they go turn to credit cards or other lo- sources of loans to be able to pay that. And that's the idea of what an emergency fund is. It's supposed to basically protect you from having to go seek help from somebody who's going to take advantage of you and charge you a really high interest rate if you have problems. Yeah. So what do I, what do I think about emergency funds? Yeah. I, and I think they're, they're helpful, and you have to have uh, – like financially, I, I kind of depend on having um, uh, I guess what I'd like to consider kind of a buffer. Uh, amount of money that I would want to keep like in my account or keep in various uh, funds, I suppose that I've that I that I have that that's for the, the, that purpose. Where for me, um, I I try to pretend that they're not there, and that that helps me kind of like move day to day and you know do what I need to do financially and and not delve into that unless I absolutely need to. Um, you know because if you if you accept that you have you know a couple thousand dollars stowed away here you know it's very easy to like be tempted to kind of like you know jump into that as soon as you want to make some sort of a uh, a car decision or um a big life decision but if i pretend that it's not there then it's it's less tempting i suppose cool what's the best financial decision that you've made best financial decision um it may i mean as far as just I, it probably was just how we had that situation set up at the house in Gainesville. I'm going to say just, you know, it, it ended up being a little complicated and it, it was hard to uh, round up all all the people that lived there in terms of when utilities were due, when, when checks were due, who would pay the landlady and then who would reimburse who. But um, how we ended up making it work out comfortably with five roommates, you know, bringing the cost down to 275 that that helped me, you know, a lot. It helped me. Uh, I suppose save up and then you know kind of appreciate that low of uh, uh, I suppose a rent you know to, to always kind of think back about 
and compare to rents that I pay today. So all in, how much were you paying a month with the five people in the rent? Uh, five people. It was probably about three fifty for utilities and everybody on the rent. Three fifty a month. Okay. So wow, that's like barely over four thousand a year, pretty much. Yeah. So if you're making minimum wage, you would be able to actually afford your own room in that building without any help from the government or anything else, basically, right? Absolutely. And before that, I lived in an apartment that was, you know, through the university, and it was a one-bedroom. Uh, well, it was a four-roommate, but we each had our own individual bedroom apartment that was on campus. And I forget exactly how much that was, but it was it was an incredible amount. And that was where uh, all of my, you know, Bright Future scholarship that I had to go to university uh, that's where that, that all went, uh, and then even a little bit more so because uh, I ended up losing that scholarship towards the end, I suppose. Um, so it, it ended up doing what I needed it to do to, to pay for that first year's uh, rent. So uh, it almost kind of offset itself, the the lower rent with the, the loss of the scholarship. Yeah, yeah, I ended, up, I ended up being fine, and I am very fortunate through that and through my parents uh, setting up the um, – what was it? The, prepaid the, tuition. The prepaid, Florida, Florida prepaid. Uh, I ended up coming out of college with no debt, which is something that is, I don't know, I don't know if it's rare, but it's it's definitely ideal if you're not, I mean, I don't think you can help it if you're kind of in a profession of like an engineer, that's kind of a, you know, it happens, but I ended up coming out with no debt and that was very helpful along with the minimal uh, rent that I paid in that house. Well, you can certainly minimize your debt by just making different decisions in life. If you decide to not live in the stereotypical one-bedroom, one-bath apartment with the traditional lease that people sign, you can save 60, 70, even 80 percent in total on your rent. I know people in Philadelphia that are paying something like $300 a month, and I also know people in Philadelphia that are paying like $2,000 a month, so it's a huge difference. I highly, highly can encourage you if you're in college and you're just trying to minimize your student loans, live in a cheap place, live in an extra room, heck, even live in a, in a you know, call closet or basement if you have to. Just minimize your debt at all costs. And a lot of times you can find a decent place, decent room over your head, and put a lot of people in it um, and I, come out ahead. Yeah, I definitely, like, I agree with that. I mean, I, I had problems with uh, cleanliness. I'm a very kind of a neat, clean, clean person, but... Uh, I was able to kind of find my own space, even in that house with with that kind of a uh, environment, and uh, you know I could accept everything else being what it was with four other male roommates who didn't really have a tendency for cleanliness. But I was able to find my own space, make it clean, uh, and that did make it worth it and definitely. Helped. And then even when I moved to Orlando, I looked for like uh, kind of a cheaper place. Um, like I looked into studios, which here run about five hundred dollars or so, and that was that was tempting. Um, but I ended up opting into the actual apartment and having that. It just felt nicer. But you, you pay for what you get, I guess. So how much money would you love to be making in 10 years, realistically speaking? <laughs> Sorry. So Roy just spilled his drink of choice on my computer. Sorry. So I'm going to go clean that up. I was drinking ginger ale, and that question Travis just asked just uh, really made me excited. So if you could figure out you know what you want to be making in ten years' time, reasonably, realistically speaking, what, what would that be? So ten years' time, I'd have to like consider not just myself, but like pretty much all of my uh, social social situations. Like, would I be married? Would I be? Would I have children? Uh, what kind of a job? What kind of an income? Would I need to support? You know, myself 
and them, you know, because right now, you know, working at Walt Disney World, it's, it, it, you know, you don't get paid minimum wage, but it's, it's you know, definitely not a salary position. Um, so it's able to support myself and my current living situation that I'm in. Um, but 10 years down the road, I'd, I'd assume I'd be married, um, maybe, maybe with the, you know, children, at least, you know, on, on the mind, you know. So to support that, you know, you you got to be making, like, you know, Forty thousand. Forty thousand. Is that yeah. together as a as a unit? Uh, a married married for, unit. For myself. Yeah. Um, is that is that because that's kind of similar to what our parents made? Yeah, probably because they they made it work, uh, and they were able to kind of fluctuate with you know the the ups and downs of the economy, the recession, and they they did a good job. And you know, so what they did, I at least like to mimic because we did have a good upbringing. You know, we weren't able to you know buy boats and and. <laughs> New cars uh, and, and stuff. Yeah, new cars, but we, as, as a child, you don't really understand that. You accept kind of what you have, and you appreciate what you have, and it's not until you're older where you start to wonder, wow, did I have it worse, or did I have it better than most people? Until Nickelodeon comes on with all of the ads telling you that you need to buy the latest Hot Wheels. Actually, Nickelodeon made me buy, like, so lots, of, lots, lots of Spider-Man toys. How much money do you think Nickelodeon got out of Mom and Dad over the years? Oh, uh, Wow. Because uh, if you're a kid, you don't even know about all that stuff unless Nickelodeon tells you about it, right? Yeah. I mean, just assuming everything's 1995, because that's a popular number, and then between the three of us, you know, each getting, you know, a good number of, you know, we got, for Christmas, you usually got, like, one big thing. We got maybe, like, five or six medium things, and then five or six small things, you know? Um, like, the big thing that could be a bike, which would be about, you know, $70, um, and then medium things being like, you know, a Spider-Man web shooter, which would be maybe about $25, 30 And then maybe like a pack of Pokemon cards, which would be about $4. I mean, they spent a decent amount on this, and I think that's for sure, especially around Christmas time. So if you don't have any money and you're raising kids, don't have a television, don't let them watch TV, right? <laughs> yeah, or at least, uh, you know, get the uh, whatever it is, direct TV, where you could fast forward through ads. <laughs> It'll pay for it itself. I mean, kids don't really, you know, like ads in the first place. Some of the best fun that we ever had was probably when we would just, like, fight with walking sticks and pretend we were Jedis, right? Oh, yeah, that's that's the cheapest kind of entertainment, you know, just go out into nature and find a stick. I mean, of course, be careful. You know, you're not going to want to put your eye out because that's going to be really expensive real quick. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. I mean, material possessions aren't, you know, necessary, especially depending on, like, you have three brothers, you know, or are you an only child? If you're an only child, then it's kind of relatively uh, necessary, I suppose, to, to have that kind of, a, you know, possessions probably to keep you company and keep you entertained. Yeah. Um, so if money was no object, what would you be doing right now? If money was, like, if money was not a thing? Yeah, say, I don't know, say some rich benefactor gave you a million dollars, what would you do with that money? Um, I'd probably travel around a little bit. I'd want to, you know, be safe and be comfortable. I, I would also, like, want, you know, company. So I'd have to, you know, either convince somebody else to come with me or pay their way, which that could have a, an influence on, you know, the, the finances. But if money was just not an option in general, it, you know, it would be definitely an, like, an awesome thing to, to travel. Um, what kind of places would you go? You know, I don't know. I'd... Off the top of my head, I, I just know the 
you know, the premier tourist destinations, you know, Paris, Rome, you know, places where you're told that you should visit Venice. Um, but then, you know, from there, you'd kind of ask around and you'd see like the, the places where, you know, tourism is welcomed, but also that not less people go to, you know? Yeah. You, you definitely named the most expensive places to go. That's for sure. But, you know, those, but if money isn't an option, right? True. That's a good point. Well, it's still, it's still, Depends, right? A million dollars a year would get you $40,000 a year in income for the rest of your life. So if you're trying to make a daily budget, you just take 40000 divided by like about 365 so a little bit over, what, $100 a day, something like that. In Paris, you could easily spend $100 a day without the blink of an eye, but in a place like Eastern Europe, you would actually be like upper middle class at that level of living. So just a thought. I suppose. What kind of insurance do you have? Uh, car insurance or just generally? Uh, everything. Uh, I have car insurance. I have uh, Allstate, uh, and that's that's come in handy a couple times. I've never gotten into any major accidents, but you know, fender bender. Is it Allstate or is it State Farm? State Farm. Oh, it's, you know they have they both have State in their name. I'm sorry. <laughs> Roy did not get paid any money to mention their name on this podcast. Yeah, sorry, Allstate. Um, but I, I do have State Farm. Sorry, put me on the spot. Made me nervous. What else is new? Um, but I have that. I suppose I have pet insurance because I paid a very, very pretty premium to have my my pet Farley. He's a cat uh, in my apartment currently. I don't have renter's insurance, and that is something I regret still. Why because, is that? Well, in the complex that I live right now, which I'm very displeased with, and we are we officially gave our uh, notice today that we are vacating in two months. Um, in our previous unit, uh, it was completely flooded out. There was a pipe that burst in the wall, which flooded our whole apartment and ruined a lot of... It didn't really ruin anything because we were able to get there real quick and uh, prop up the important stuff uh, and move the super important stuff out. Um, it was just a, an incredible inconvenience, and uh, the complex was not on our side. They were very unhelpful. Management was very... Uh, they made us feel very isolated, and, and they were just very – it was a very uncomfortable experience. And I don't generally uh, get confrontational with people, but I was I was kind of forced to you know raise my voice and demand that they at least give me some sort of an idea or an explanation as to kind of what my future here would be, uh, which they moved us to uh, a new unit after about 10 days or a week, and it was – it was a nightmare. So what would renter's insurance have done for you in that situation when the water main flooded your apartment? It would have at least uh, given me a little bit of peace of mind that at least somebody had her back, that at least, um, you know, there was there was somebody that we could talk to, that we could at least, you know, bring the attention to someone who would have something to say back to us. Yeah. Because the, the complex was just so not helpful. They almost encouraged us to try to leave and... You know, it was a lot harder for me to do that because I provided all the, you know, furniture, everything that our apartment has, my, that our apartment has, I brought over from my previous one-person apartment. So, so it was a little alienating for me and my roommate because he could have just left if he wanted to, but I, I was a little bit harder. So renter's insurance only costs about $150 a year. Yeah, like cover, $12 a month. It's, co- it's, yeah. it's a great – I mean, it's generally a great decision. It covers all of your stuff, covers all of your possessions – Roy, you own like a nice computer, right? Very, yeah, very nice. Yeah, so I mean, something like that. If you basically, if you have more than two or three thousand dollars worth of possessions, and you're not a millionaire, 
renter's insurance is probably a smart thing to get, right? Yeah, well, what it was is that the apartment didn't – a lot of apartments uh, require it. Yeah. This apartment did not. So it was not a something that we thought about. It was not brought to the table. It was – we moved in. We moved all our stuff in, and we became complacent just with our lifestyle here. And then when it happened, it was uh, an unfortunate situation. And then, you know, thinking about renter's insurance – my previous complex required me to have it. Or the apartment complex we're moving into requires you to have it. And I think that also says something about the, the complex itself, which is if they don't force you to get it, they're almost just more desperate to get people in and out, and they don't really care about you. Do you have any life insurance? Any life insurance? Yeah. No, I don't. Any idea why not? Uh, I am young and I am healthy, as far <laughs> as I know. I've never broken a bone. I've never even had a cavity. Uh, I haven't even had any kind of surgery besides getting my uh my wisdom teeth out so i do consider myself very fortunate and uh hopefully i'm you know i'll be around here a while and if i sense that something is amok then i might like look into that kind of later but i do know it's relatively expensive how much do you think life insurance costs if you had to guess i don't know um this is when i'm going to be a very ignorant uh financial person i'm going to say that it is how much a month a month i'm going to say $200 $200 a month. Okay. Well, that is not too far off from what a whole life policy would cost, which I definitely do not recommend. Do not buy a whole life policy because the agent gets big commissions. It's pretty expensive, and it's basically a combination of investing and insurance, and you should never do that. However, you can buy a term life insurance policy, which covers you for 20 years for about maybe 20 to $30 a month, or maybe even cheaper for several hundred thousand dollars worth of coverage if you die. So what do you think about that? Uh... I think that's cool. I, I well, at what age do you have life insurance? So I don't. And who who should have it? At what age should you consider looking into it? Is it a thing that you notice about yourself and your own um, health, or is it just something you'd like to have later on in life? You pretty much need to ask the question: Do you have someone else depending on you? And if the answer is yes, then you need to have it. So for me, if something happened to me, my girlfriend would be fine. You know, she's in a good profession, has a good job, she'd be able to make it okay. My brothers would be fine because <laughs> I guess they would get more money from mom and dad when they kick the can, you know? <laughs> Split, divide by two instead of three, right? A little morbid, but okay. You know, you know. And uh, also, I don't have any kids, so I don't have any people that can't fend for themselves. So generally speaking, like when someone needs to immediately get life insurance, if you're trying to have a child, if you are... You know, actively trying to have a family or you're married and you make significantly more than your spouse, you definitely need to have it. And you should not wait because the reason why life insurance is so cheap is because it is, you are so young and healthy. And that's why they're willing to take that risk that they'll give you hundreds of thousands of dollars for like 20 bucks a month if something happens to you because it's so unlikely. Yeah. But if something did happen to you, like say you had a wife and a baby – and you each made $20,000 a month. Sorry, a month. Wow, that'd be great. <laughs> $20,000 a year. I'd be pretty well off then. Yeah, I probably wouldn't need life insurance then, huh? Yeah. But if you each, if you each made $20,000 a year, you know, what would that look like for that child? I mean, basically the family the, the family would be going from middle class to pretty much like borderline poverty, right? Right. So the way to protect against that is having life insurance. Do you have any disability insurance? No. <clears throat> so disability insurance... Do you know that you already have some? In the form of what? Like so, so do you pay Social Security taxes? I do. Yeah, so everybody actually gets Social Security disability, 
Mm-hmm. Um, how much do you think it is a month? Fifteen dollars. It's a little more than that. It's usually maybe a few hundred dollars a month, several hundred dollars a month, maybe a little bit more. Really? Depending on your situation, yeah. What you so, pay or what you'd get? What you'd get. Okay. If you became disabled, but, but it's actually somewhat difficult to become disabled under Social Security, right? Right. So actually, disability insurance, you can usually purchase a policy for between 1% and 3% of your income, and that can cover you and protect your income just in case you're not able to work for an extended period of time. Most people will have it through their employers like Disney or other places, especially if they're full-time. What kind of car do you have, and you know, how much does it cost to maintain? Oh, dear. I have a 2003 Chevrolet Impala. It is tan. I was actually gifted to me by my grandfather about six years ago, five or six years ago. Uh, it has about 80,000 miles on it now. It only had about 20,000 on it when it was given to me, even though he did buy it new, I believe, back in 2003. But he would only use it to drive to and from the grocery store, and he had an additional car too. So he, had, he put very minimal miles on the car, very little wear and tear. Uh, so the miles have been fantastic. The only thing I've had to deal with is just the age of the car. Uh, so recently, uh, in the past uh, few years, uh, I've had to replace the the starter on the car. I've had to replace the air conditioning on the car. I have had to replace the battery, the alternator. I have had to... I accidentally ran off the road uh, one night, and I bent the uh, the side panel of the car. Uh, so I had to take that in, get that kind of refitted. That was about $1,000. And even most recently, a couple weeks ago, the water pump on the car completely blew. Um, luckily, there was no uh, oil in the coolant, or there was there was no mixes mixing of fluids in the car, so there were no gaskets that were warped or anything. That so it could have could have been worse, but it was not. I haven't had any major transmission problems, even though the the car kind of gives a little kick when you kind of a uh, you know press the pedal a little harder than you intend to. Um, all in all, it is a good car. It's dependable. It's it's Transmission-wise, very young, uh, but the parts in it are getting a little bit old. So it's taken me about, you know, $1,000, $1,500 a year just to kind of maintain. And that's with kind of my my one big breakdown uh, or piece that needs to be replaced maybe once a year plus, you know, $500 for gas, I'd say. So how much do you think it costs to have a new car? A new car? What kind of a car? Like a brand new car? Yeah. Um, let's say you pay, you know, a premium deposit or whatever of, you know, $1,500 and then a monthly payment of $400. Okay. Is that about right? Um, what other expenses do you think exist along with it? Um, well, you... How much would your Allstate be, Roy? (laughs) Allstate, yeah. Uh, I mean, I guess your insurance would go up, that's for sure. How much do you Um, think? How much would it go up, or how much would it be? How much total? would it be? Uh, let's say six hundred dollars uh, a month. No, no, not, not six hundred. <laughs> wow, <laughs> it's you bought a really nice car. No two insurance companies send an ad to Roy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Allstate charges you six hundred dollars a month for car insurance. You heard it right here. <laughs> <laughs> no, please don't, please don't sue me, Allstate. <laughs> no, uh, I'm gonna say maybe like six fifty every six months. Okay, I mean, it's probably in the ballpark. I would say I would guess like two fifty. Every month, something like that. So maybe like close to, you know, a little over twelve hundred, thirteen hundred every six months. So basically, a year you'd probably have about five thousand dollars worth of car payments, really? and you'd, then you'd have about for this for a brand new car. Yeah, probably about twenty five hundred dollars for insurance, 
So that's 7,500. Theoretically, you don't have any maintenance and charges, right? I'd hope not. You hope not. So that's why you bought it? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So then you're looking at maybe how much for gas? Maybe thousand dollars for gas? Yeah, about that. Depending on you know what kind of car you get, how many gallons it holds. It's probably a little bit more efficient, but you probably don't save that much more on gas versus an old car. Right. So all in, you're probably looking at for a new car, five to six thousand dollars more a year in expenses compared to the old clunker. Even after fixing it up. $1,500 a year, you're still coming out way ahead. So yeah. I know it's kind of scary and annoying, but if you're driving a clunker, as long as it's not unsafe and feels like a death trap, you're probably driving a winning financial decision. Definitely. Just make sure you have a you know, AAA or something. Not, not a sponsor, but you should probably have AAA. Roy, uh, Roy has just made it on the platinum list for AAA number of miles towed, right, Roy? Yeah, pretty much. So, uh, Roy, what do, you, what do you save? How much? How much do I save? Yeah. I, I don't save much now. Mm-hmm. I, I don't, I'm not really the type that lives paycheck to paycheck, fortunately. I don't really check my paychecks even for accuracy, which is probably something I should do, but I don't. I just kind of trust uh, you know, whoever's in, in charge of uh, those kind of finances uh, and distributions. Um, but I, I definitely do consider what I do make uh, you know, per hour. I am hourly. Um, and, uh, I don't know. I, I don't, I don't really save much. I save what I don't use, which is, I don't know what kind of a philosophy that is, but I do pay my rent and I do pay for groceries and I do occasionally treat myself to activities. Uh, you know, being in Orlando, there's a lot of entertainment options around here. Uh, mostly a monopoly of mini golf, uh, which I'm trying to get slowly better at. And, um, it works out, but I do get a lot of discounts working for, you know, the big major theme parks here. Um, so I do get cheap entertainment and cheap food too what kind of investments do you have uh investments like monetary yeah uh i have i guess funds that have been slowly accruing um a little bit of gain a little bit of loss potentially over the past i don't know how many years 20 years um that i i haven't really followed really haven't really looked into that kind of goes back to my earlier uh statement that uh, I, I don't. I don't really want to pretend that that money is an option, unless I absolutely have to. Um, some money that I do have saved up, you know, for those emergency situations. I I haven't really looked into it. So we're not talking about major bucks. We're just talking about a few thousand dollars that was intended for college you didn't have to use, right? Yes. So that's just something that I'm just still holding on to, letting it do its do its thing in the market, and uh, hopefully it, it it's of use at some point. What are the names of those funds? Uh, Wellington and uh, Windsor funds. That's good. What, what, what do you What do you know about mutual funds, Roy? Not a lot. I'm assuming that uh, mutual funds are something you buy of a company that you know, as the company performs or doesn't perform, it's reflected on the funds that you have, and it will reflect that. It will go up and will go down. <laughs> what a great explanation, Roy. Thank you. Oh, of course. Now, so if you had to guess, like what's in your Wellington and Windsor funds. If you just had to guess, like U.S. stocks, international stocks, and bonds, what do you think you own? In terms, like money, like fi- like financially. Yeah, like what's your breakdown of stocks, bonds, U.S. and international? Like how much do I have in each fund? Or in, yeah, in each. Like percentage-wise or monetarily? Uh, percentage. Oh, uh, probably like I don't know, point zero zero five percent of each. 
I'm not sure. This is something <laughs> I don't know. I am sorry. That's okay. So you definitely have more than 0.005%. Otherwise, you would own a lot of... Do you mean 0.005% in each stock? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. That's that's actually probably somewhat true. So really? I can't make fun of you. Yeah. Hey, then I do know what I'm talking about. Take that. Yeah. Well, so basically, like, mutual funds have hundreds to thousands of individual stocks that they invest in, which diversifies you and makes your performance in your money, like, look really kind of like the broad U.S. stock market. And Wellington-Windsor funds are two funds at Vanguard. They're actually active funds, but they're pretty low cost. So it's really important to keep your fun- your expenses and your mutual funds very low. Yeah. So that's really important. If you have any mutual funds gifted to you by your grandparents or your parents, make sure you're actually using low fee and you know preferably index funds. But you know low fee active funds are okay too, as long as they have low expenses. Um, couple questions left here, Roy. What do you spend the most on? What do I spend the most on? Whew. Probably uh, entertainment. Um, it's definitely not the best ideology, but I do get a lot of uh, enjoyment out of. Uh, you know, entertainment, what I do with my time, where I spend my time, uh, which is going to be in the form of a lot of things like, you know, miniature golfing or going to the theme parks and enjoying that and bringing home maybe a souvenir uh, or something like that. A lot of people spend a lot of their money on food. Um, I suppose it's, you know, to each his own. Uh, I, I do definitely try to, like, uh, as far as food goes, that, that's where I try to spend the least. I, I do enjoy, like, exchanging, you know, Money, I suppose, for something else that's intri- like intrinsically, uh, I you, suppose, there. You know, so you I trade I, you trade money for things that you value, right? Yeah, like I guess most people do. But it, it's like it's nice to you know if I spend money on very fancy food, it tastes great, but I'm probably gonna forget about it like immediately. But if I can spend it on something that's kind of cool, like a it's a, it's a shirt or something of you know something that I that I value and that I want to you know promote, then I can have that for however long I have it, and that's a little bit more worth it to me. So probably material possessions, if I have to be totally honest, which is weird, but it's true. But at least it's entertainment, and it's not something like housing or cars, which, as we showed in the show earlier, those are really expensive, right? Yeah, it's, and most people, a lot of their money goes to making car payments or paying back student loans or, uh, you know, goes directly into paying their, you know, utilities, their power, their water, their internet their cable their housing and they don't really get much to spend on anything so i'm pretty fortunate that i can say that i spend most of my money on literally trinkets well you know what if something's under a dollar 99 you can pretty much buy as many of them as you want because if you buy a single car for thirty thousand dollars and you pay it off over five years that one decision is infinitely worse than buying literally all 150 pokemon stuffed animals and buying 200 pokemon pokeballs on pokemon go a thousand times yes um, how much do you save for retirement, Roy? How much do I save? For or should it? I say, how much did you intend to save for retirement? <laughs> oh, well, I am uh, planning to um, hypothetically speaking. Yeah, of course. Well, I'm 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 planning. I hope to uh, open up a Roth IRA uh, and put uh, a decent amount of money in there that can hopefully compoundly gain interest over the the course of time and be something that I can you know dip into in decades to come. Uh, but it is. It is nice to consider and to think about retirement because everybody does, you know, think about the here, think about the now, and kind of assume that things will work out for you later on in life. But then you, you know, if you ask around, you know, a lot of people don't. A lot of people assume things will work out, and then they get there, and uh, it, it's not worked out. So it's important, I think, to plan and uh, to set aside money that would be nice to enjoy now, but in the long run is a lot safer to put away. So if you saved for 40 years and you wanted to retire at 65 – 
what percentage of your income do you think that you would need to save in order to be able to afford a comfortable retirement at 65? If you had to guess. 65 to yeah. enjoy retirement? Probably $400,000, $500,000. Well, how much would you save? How would you need to save of your income? What oh. percentage of your income would you have to put away while you're working? Oh, uh, 10%. That's pretty incredible because that's actually the right answer. Really? Yeah, wow. Roy, you're a financial genius. <laughs> I mean, you know. How much would you need to save to retire at, say, 55 to 60? It's so to retire early? Yeah. Uh, let's say like 18%. Yes. Well, it's about right. 15% is kind of the answer. Darn. So, but, yeah, you know, that's pretty close enough. And how much do you need to save to retire at 25? Well, <laughs> that's for you. You you need to be a very frugal person, and uh, I suppose you'd have to pretty much save all of it. <laughs> Put it all away and live a very frugal and uh, uh, financially conscious life, and then you can make it work um, if, you, if you have that kind of mindset. Well, we have you as a guest on the show, Roy. If you had to make a uh, critique of Millennial Moolah or comment on Travis, myself, uh, decision, my decision to retire at 25, uh, what would you say? Um, I don't know. I suppose make sure it doesn't affect people around you because lifestyle choices that you make will you know, involve other people at some point or another. And while you know, it's always important to have your own values, I suppose, on living, uh, if you affect other people you know, that aren't – they don't necessarily share those kind of values – uh, you know that could lead to conflict, so just you know make sure you uh, appreciate other people when they're around you, and, and maybe uh, you know compromise a little bit on certain decisions that you normally maybe wouldn't make, but you make for them. Cool. So in summary, we talked about a lot today. Uh, Roy could really benefit from a couple things. Biggest things that stick out: he should sign up for some rewards credit cards, try to get some uh, $150 bonuses like the Chase Freedom cards. What I like for that. That's a great starter card. If you spend $500, you get $150 back uh, from that, so that's a great bonus. Also, I would suggest switching his bank account to an online bank like Schwab or Capital One. Um, I think that he should probably consider opening his Roth IRA, contributing whatever he can to his Roth IRA so he can save for retirement. He's driving a great car. He's got no debt. He's looking good in the rental department. Uh, Has no credit card debt. So Roy is actually in fantastic shape financially as long as he doesn't buy a house buy a car or have a family or have children Uh uh-oh uh-oh just kidding roy's actually in great shape so thanks uh roy where can listeners find you if they are uh, interested in following your entertainment and youtubing escapades all right Uh, i do have an online presence myself Uh, i don't have a podcast uh, but i do have a couple youtube channels uh one that I've been working on a lot more recently than the other one is uh, youtube.com slash oibert. It's going to be O-Y-B-E-R-T. Uh, and those are my escapades in, in vlogging kind of around Orlando, just kind of living my life, doing my thing here. I've been uh, adopting more of a theme park vlogging persona, kind of informing people about what's new, what's old, the theme parks, and uh, what I think about changes and things that are happening. Another channel that I have is uh, youtube.com slash yourboytheroy, which is just a lot of um, just general entertainment things that I like to do uh, musically or, or skit-wise. Uh, and I have a lot more fun on that channel just uh, doing what I like as opposed to informing. Um, but yeah, but those are both my channels, and I do have a lot of fun on them. Roy has more views than com does in its entire lifetime from a single video of him dancing and gyrating furiously to 
a Mika song, I believe it is. I think so. Yeah, so Roy is quite the YouTube celebrity, in fact. So I highly <laughs> suggest you check out Roy's golden era of at Your Boy the Roy on YouTube. That's, um, that's for sure. Hey, thanks so much for listening to the Millennial Moolah first podcast episode ever. Yay. Yeah. Thanks so much for Roy coming. I'm honored. To my brother stopping by and letting me dissect his financial life. My hope is that I could have a guest on here every so often so we could learn about money and talk about money in just a relaxed setting and just kind of see what people could be doing better, see what they're doing great, see, see what kind of misconceptions they have. You are welcome for me stopping by, even though this is my apartment that we are currently in. Yes, it is. Yeah. And we are using Roy's equipment, so it looks like Millennium Moolah is going to have to invest in some nice audio Yay. stuff, right? You have to buy things and stuff. Those are my favorite two items to spend money on. Oh, no. So it's been uh, it's been great having you, Roy. And uh, just want to give a shout-out. Readers, please help us review this podcast and get it out there. Get it pe- known to people and... Uh, iTunes and the other various podcast reviewing places. We'll post some links at MillennialMoolah.com where we put this podcast for the first time. So hopefully, if you don't mind, it'd be so great, so awesome to go and review the podcast on those sites. Give it a five-star review and just kind of say hopefully why we're different. Hopefully this podcast is different because we're just trying to talk to average everyday people instead of talking to the high minds of finance and the really impressive guests that are going to tell you how to solve your life. I just want to maybe approach it from the bottom-up, grassroots approach. And I, am, I am quite average, a, so that's perfect. And my, I had to start with my brother because he's the most average financial person that I know. And also I have the microphone, so <laughs> that also helps. Yes. Link, thanks for having me again, Trev. Again, so thanks so much for listening, and until next time, this is the Millennial Moolah Show. Woo! So we tried to come up with a better name for this podcast after about 30 minutes since the show was over, we got a lot of responses from my friends on Facebook with suggestions, and we decided to go with Jimmy's suggestion of Podcash. So thank you so much for listening to the first ever episode of Podcash with Travis from Millennial Moolah. And Roy. <laughs>